Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody, and Steve, where we will discuss and debate politics and current events from perspectives ranging from conservative to libertarian in a forum where people can offer their opinions and debate without being yelled at, mocked, or hung up on. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for EJS show on Liberty Block. I am Steve, and I will now turn it over to Jody and Ed to get today's episode started. Jody? Yeah, I'm just gonna start. Hi, this is Jody. Thanks, Steve. I'm gonna start by reading the first paragraph um, of Mayor Bryce Hamblin. He's the mayor of Eager. Uh, Arizona since 2012 and he wrote a great thing on using masks and freedom relating to the response to COVID. Dear citizens of Eager, over the past several weeks I've been asked repeatedly what the town of Eager plans to do about COVID-19, masks, visitors, riots, etc. It is somewhat alarming how many expect and almost invite a more drastic infringement on their freedoms. My response from the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic has been that we will err on the side of freedom. When riots began to riddle the country and our governor took the drastic measure of a statewide curfew, again, I maintained that we will err on the side of freedom. I have received numerous phone calls from reporters, citizens, visitors, and complete strangers to our area asking why the town of Eager has not canceled upcoming rodeos and our 4th of July parade. Again, my response is that Eager will err on the side of freedom. What authority does the town of Eager or any other state or local government have to infringe on the rights of healthy law-abiding citizens? And maybe that's where we kick it off. Well, how about I say hello to everybody. Hi, Jody. Hi, Steve. Hi, hello. everybody. This is this is Ed. Happy Independence Day to everyone. I hope you had a good Fourth of July celebration. Uh, I hope you guys got to watch President Trump's speech at Mount Rushmore. If you didn't, I say go you, go watch it on YouTube because it was an ode to how great America is and to how great we can be. And while we're watching the country burn on our TVs, it was nice to see somebody appreciate America both as it is and in its best light. So uh, with that, hi uh, everybody. Please, can I ask you to please say trigger warning before you go off like that? Um, you mentioned <laughs> Independence Day, which is a macroaggression. What? Then you mentioned Independence Day and didn't warn me that I'm gonna be triggered. And then you mentioned Mount Rushmore, which was another trigger. So just say trigger warning so that I don't get all discombobulated. And before we actually go on with that letter, I do want to point out that in the second paragraph of the letter, the mayor points out that he is not a, a total conspiracy theorist who believes that the virus does not exist or that it's a total hoax. He just thinks that it is a, a virus, not the worst virus in the universe, not Ebola, um, but he thinks that we shouldn't curtail all the liberties of everyone in the world just because it's a virus, but he does believe it exists. He does not believe it is all a hoax. So I think that's important to mention as well. 
And that, I don't know who else. I did not listen to the speech. I've heard clips of it. From what I've heard, it was absolutely fantastic and 100% reliably reported on by the press. Is that what you heard? Of course. <laughs> it was 100% reliably reported on. They reported on it the way an enemy would report on it. Mm -hmm. I think they called it dark and divisive. Uh, I think those were the, the kindest words that they had for it. Ed, do you want to um, tell us what you remember, the highlights of the speech, if you remember any? Well, there were so many. I mean, like I said, I would recommend anyone go listen to the entire thing, but he paid tribute to our founders. He paid tribute to the presidents that are on Mount Rushmore. He defended the monuments that are being destroyed around the country. He defended American values and American virtue. He s repeatedly said that America was a great and a good country, not an evil country, and that we're not tainted by systemic racism. He talked about defending America from people who are trying to overthrow it as we speak and as we live right now today. And he said that he's gonna stand up and defend America. So uh, he's doing a great job with words. So far, he hasn't really done a whole lot of action. He's done, done a lot of talking about how he's gonna quell the riots and deal with the violence that's tearing up our cities. But, uh, you know, I'm giving him plenty of leeway. I think he's at least saying all the right things. Um, how long was the, the whole speech? How long was it? Approximately an hour. Yeah, it was a long speech. Is there any truth to the fact that a prior president um, possibly from the Democrat Party, once made a speech at Mount Rushmore? Yes, Steve, that's a nice little softball. Obama went and spoke there, and the press reports that I've seen repeated, uh, repeated in light of the attacks on President Trump, uh, Obama Obama's uh, trip to Mount Rushmore was treated as majestic and regal and a great... And unifying. Huh? Unifying, but when Trump does it, it's divisive. Yes. And then when Trump went, it was divisive and it was about protecting slave owners and attacking the country and attacking the, the peaceful, the allegedly peaceful protesters who, if they were peaceful, wouldn't need the peaceful moniker next to their name or next to the uh, next to that word. Um, sure, the, the press is, is on the side of, of our enemies who, who are trying to overthrow the country. So... Have you have you gotten to ever visit Mount Rushmore? It's on my bucket list, but I haven't been there yet. Jody, have you made it out there? No, sir, I have not. So when one of my sons lived in Wyoming and we drove out to Wyoming last year, we were close to Mount Rushmore, meaning it was slightly less than a four-hour drive. But like Normandy, I knew I probably would never have another chance, so we drove out there. It is so awe-inspiring. It's so much bigger in real life than is even imaginable in any picture that your mouth just drops open. And even if we don't agree 100% with everybody who's up there, the whole, it's just majestic beyond words. It's so gargantuan. The fact that a human being can do it, I assume it would be like seeing the Sistine Chapel, but maybe even more awe-inspiring. So even though it's in the middle of nowhere, I strongly suggest when you can, get there. I second that. Yeah, Ali, you went there, right? Yep, yep. It was awe-inspiring. It's, it's mind-boggling that any human being can do that. So, 
Okay, so we started talking a little bit about masks. I don't believe any of us right now on this, on this uh, broadcast agree that masks should be forced on anyone. Am I correct about that? Um, I agree uh, with a caveat. Um, my caveat is impossible though. My caveat would be solid science, uh, that it is undoubtedly life-saving um, and that it be not abused. Neither of those are possible, so. That's literally not possible, yeah. <laughs> so well, I wouldn't say, I, I, let, me, let me jump in. I, I don't know that it's impossible in a theoretical sense. It's only impossible in the current sense because right. I think the proper standard is that you need a, an overwhelmingly solid uh, proof that the mask is going to be helpful and required. I mean, be helpful is too weak of a word because anything would be helpful. You know, I mean, you can point to, you know, for instance, you can point to all the fatalities on the highway and say, well, we could help save one life or hundreds of thousands of lives by prohibiting car travel. And while that would be true, I don't think it would be helpful. So um, I think that the, the case on a scientific and on a practical basis has to be overwhelming and airtight. It's not either in this current situation. Is there some benefit to it? Sure. But we've got a lot of people in this country that are pushing the masks on us who insist, my body, my choice. And I agree, my body, my choice. And I think in the current context of what's available to us and the knowledge we have and the proof that the governments have given us, I think it should still remain my body, my choice. I don't think the evidence is so overwhelming and so compelling that the government has any right to force us to wear a mask and to cover our face. Because in my view, I think that the mask is a symbol of censorship and of muzzling opposition. And that's what it represents you know, more than anything. I as a nurse, I, I, I take it further than just the, the, the idea that masks shouldn't be forced because I don't trust that those who are making these rules to force us to wear masks are looking at the potential risks to us for wearing the masks. If you really watch uh, people wearing masks, you know, it makes logical sense that it's a barrier between you and a virus. But, you know, in a hospital setting, you're changing that surgical mask. I think most people in the, in the, in the, in medicine would understand wearing the same surgical mask regularly, you know, just, it's not really thinkable, but that's what people are doing. People are wearing cloth masks and they're not washing them. People are putting their surgical mask, you know, down on a countertop potentially, or a chair in a restaurant. So theoretically depositing all of those collections that were supposed to protect you further into the environment. So I have a problem with it, not just for the science and the potential abuse, but because I think there might be, at least we should be asking, is there a greater risk? Are we seeing uh, the transmission rate increase because of misuse of masks and and if we're going to be forced to wear them that really concerns me that those forcing us 
aren't considering that maybe this force is making us at greater risk. I have another question. Do all of us agree totally that any private business has a right to keep you out if you're not wearing a mask? Of course. Well, yes. That's their, that's their right to do so because you're stepping onto their property and they have the right to make those rules and, and you have a right to, to uh, either vote with your wallet and uh, not go there if they're creating a situation or a condition that you don't subscribe to. Okay. So Let me push back a little on that. Let me push back just a little bit. In, in theory, yes, I agree that every business should be able to set its own rules, but I don't think we can divorce the current context from from the discussion. And in the current context, businesses are not making that, that decision in a vacuum. They're, be, they're making that decision based on either mandates or threatened mandates from the government. So yes, I do believe businesses should be allowed to run their businesses as they wish. Of course. They should be allowed to exclude people on, at, that they want. But I don't think that we can just look at exclu exclusionary rules today and pretend like they're completely divorced from any government mandates, even if there's not a specific government executive order mandating them at the particular moment. Yeah. Well, the there's, there's, moment, even if there's not an executive order in place, there's a threat of one right now. So um, I don't think that you can just say, you know, it's his business. He should be allowed to keep you out. Go ahead. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, we're talking legally now. If I go into a bakery without a mask and demand they bake a cake for my transsexual surgery, which side is the <laughs> DOJ going to come down on? Very nice. <laughs> I, have trouble, I have trouble with these public accommodation laws where I can force you to do anything but let me in without a mask. And that's yeah, I just want to plug my, my new article I'm working on that I'm going to publish hopefully in the next 24 hours if you guys let me publish it. Um, there's a big distinction that Ed touched upon. I want to you know, really uh, frame it and just speak to it a little, a little bit more, uh, focus on it a little more. There are, there are three different things. There's private business and any private business in general has property rights to, to do anything in the world they want. Unless they're murdering people, a private business owner, if I own my gym, the Axel gym, I can say, you have to wear a mask. You have to wear shorts. You have to come in topless. I can say girls have to come in topless. I can say people only above six feet tall are allowed to enter. I can make any law in the world I want. I can say no blacks or no whites. I can do anything in the world I want. That's one. The second issue is we could have, we could have a whole discussion on mandates. Should the government mandate that I have to let in certain people to my gym or that I have to require masks? And that's a hard no for me. The third thing is the middle ground that I'm glad Ed touched upon. There could be pressure, like incentives, pressure, media, mandates, uh, tax credits, potential, um, potential enforcement where governments you, and media pressure me to close my gym. And that's where things get tough. But again, to me, most things are black and white. And that's why I'm writing this article on the distinction. There's a, bit, a big distinction between what should private people do as personal decisions and what should be required by law. Personally, in my personal life, I think everyone should work out every day. I work out every day. I'm a boxer. Do I think it should be mandated that everyone do a boxing workout every single day of the week? Hell no. It's a good idea, but we should not mandate it and use the power of law and judges and police with guns and, and handcuffs and prisons and uh, killing people and fining people to enforce that. It's a good idea to be healthy, but I don't believe that anything should be required by law. The only laws should be protecting rights and, and property and, and people. Okay, since you went in that direction, is anyone else here today uncomfortable with so-called public accommodation laws? 
I'm extremely uncomfortable with, with everything to do with that, yes. No one hear everybody else. To, to, what, to what degree? Uncomfortable to what degree and what type of public accommodation laws? Because there are some public accommodation laws for the uh, severe physically handicapped that may make sense where others don't. So it's all really about balance. So the okay. public accommodation law, you have to be a little bit more specific. Okay, do I have to, do I have to cater to Jewish people? I just heard from a football player that Jewish people are really, really horrible. He convinced me, and I don't want to let Jewish people into my store. That's your right. That's great. So I want to hear what Sai says. I want to hear what everybody else says. The interesting thing about this, this what you just said, and, and I think it, it dovetails with this uh, mask situation, is that the this, this entire discussion on masks um, really centers around uh, max, uh, masks have become a proxy, a placeholder, if you will, for um, people's desire and their agendas to try and overpower others with their ideas, their ideas that they've got, that they have on, on political views, on other things. Right now we have the masks. That, that is what is being used as, a, as an introductory level uh, uh, proxy to be able to, to tell people what to do. Uh, and to more or less try and force and coerce people what to do. That's just as an introductory level. What may be coming behind that in a different America can be much more nefarious. So we're looking at these masks, we're looking at these public accommodation laws, and how they're implemented, how people have a desire to, to push these agendas, because their, their real agenda may be something else, but this is, this is good for discussion. This is acceptable for discussion in this current atmosphere, in this current America. Jody, do you have an opinion on public accommodation laws? Um, I am, uh, I am open, but I'm inclined to agree with Elliot. I will say that I kind of believe that by and large, uh, businesses will tend to align with their pocketbooks before they will align with their prejudices. And when they don't, when they align with their prejudice instead of their pocketbook, uh, I believe that the market will correct it because Others will fill in a gap for those that are being discriminated against in that market, and they will then, those ones who come in and you know gain that market will grow their market share. But I'm open for discussion and for changing my mind. You're nicer than I am. Ed? Well, I have to say my, my mind is, I'm in a state of flux on this, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I think the libertarian answer you know, relating back to our first two shows, the libertarian answer is freedom is the ultimate value and you should be free to choose or not choose who you deal with. And I'm definitely sympathetic to that. Liberty is the is one of the primary means for advancing life. But the conservative answer is that liberty is not the ultimate value. Life is the ultimate value. And I can see certain instances where group boycotts and, and excluding people from from certain businesses or certain uh, industries could be anti-life. And, you know, one of the things we talked about maybe t discussing today is, is the situation with big tech. And, you know, should you be allowed to be on Facebook? Should you be allowed to be on YouTube? And um, while I'm not comfortable with saying that they should be forced to keep you on, uh, I'm not so comfortable to say that I think the free market is necessarily going to to solve the problem, at least not initially. Um, 
my view, tentatively at least, is that the free market is amoral, as I, as I said in, in one of the two previous shows. It's not going to teach you what's right and wrong. And I, and I understand the argument that it will punish bad behavior and reward good behavior, but that presupposes that the, the prevailing culture is rational. I think that the free market will take you where you want to go, where your values lead you, and it'll facilitate and accelerate that. But if you've got bad values and you're an irrational culture, maybe it will lead to white genocide or black genocide in South Africa um, or, in, or in America. I mean, I don't think that you can say for sure where it's going to lead. And so I'm not willing to just slam the door and say uh, the libertarian answer is correct and we need to maximize liberty and let people be free to exclude anyone on any yeah. basis for whatever reason. I, I hear what you're saying, Ed. The, the one thing I would say from the total free market perspective, like you said, libertarian or, or anarchist, free market, voluntarist, is to say that your value is, is life, which is, uh, of course, a, a uh, worthwhile value, and my value is liberty, which I think is worthwhile as well. But to say that liberty could be abridged in the, in the name of life, I could almost accept that. Where I, where I can't get on board with you is in, in that you are saying that we should be giving the ultimate power to the government. And there's no one in DC that I trust. So to say that the free market can be abridged if it means improving and advancing life, I'm okay with that in theory. But you're saying that in, in doing so, we're allowing the government, meaning people like Clinton and Obama to abridge and infringe upon the free market and our freedoms because they claim that it will improve life. And that's, again, in practice, that's where it just doesn't, it doesn't work. So I think, um, I two, think that's, those reasons, are well yeah, it's on principle and it's in practical application. When you infringe on a free market, it doesn't work as well. But even just on principle, I wouldn't support it. I want to chime in one second. I'm going to get it back to you, Ed. We talk about public accommodation, but the truth is it's private property as well. I don't have a choice who I sell my home to. So it's not just public accommodation. The government says to me, I have to sell my home to people I don't want to unless I can come up with some rational excuse. And I have to tell you, uh, racism is alive and well in my neighborhood. And there are people here who will not sell to people of different colors. However, I think that should be the right because it's not public accommodation, it's private property. So how do we lose that right? Now you can have it. Well, I think both of you raise solid and, and really hardly assailable points. I mean, those are very good points. I don't disagree with them, but I also think that depending upon the severity of the discrimination, I think there can come a point where society as a collective whole says, we can't exclude this group of people any longer. They, they've been too broadly excluded and it's not right, and we need to integrate them into our society. And we want to integrate them into society. And I'm not saying that I have a bright line as to where, where that point is. Um, I'm as skeptical of government action and government intelligence as the both of you are. Uh, I'm not saying that this is something that we need to have the government over, you know, overpower us with. But at the same time, I'm I'm not willing to say that, you know, that Jim Crow, or I mean, Jim Crow was government established law. I'm not willing to say that there's no circumstance where uh, government should intervene to protect private individuals from private discrimination. I, I agree that it should be limited and sparing, but 
and I don't have a good limiting principle if that's your next question, but um, I'm not willing to say that there's never a case where it's appropriate for the government to intercede there, intervene there. So I have a, 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 a quick point. My point is at what instance are you justifying an accommodation that would accommodate both life and liberty? There has to be a point where there's that sweet spot, that balance, because if you are justifying just for life or you're justifying the accommodation for liberty, you're missing elements of society. You're missing key components of what an accommodation is all about. You know, my argument is that my line is really simple. It's when you tell me what I can and cannot do. That's my line. So no matter what, nobody else has a right to tell me what to do. That, that's I, well, exactly. Let, let, me, let me throw one quick thing out and then I'll pass it to you, Jody. You know, you know, there's one hypothetical that circulates in libertarian circles, and that's, you know, what does a person do if his enemies buy up all the land surrounding him and trap him on his land? And the answer is that the law will imply an easement to allow him to get off the land. And to me, that's a public accommodation, a form of public accommodation. And I don't think that you could just trap him on his land and say, you're, you're here forever and you can't get out no matter what. I think it's proper that you imply an easement that allows them off the land. Again, I think that should be a very sparing remedy. I don't think it's something that should be commonplace and every day in the law, but I think it's something that's, that's, that can, in certain limited circumstances, be reasonable. What were you going to say, Jody? I'm, I'm going to let Jody talk, and then I'm going to argue with what you just said. Okay. I was just going to say uh, a potential you know, if it's, if, it, if it's a discussion between life versus liberty, um, you know, one of the examples of where the liberty part may be destructive to the life part could be, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what the name of the law is, but the requirement that hospitals not turn away people in an emergency. Intala. Um, any Thank you. I used to know that once upon a time, but uh, might be an example, Ed, of what your line might be of, you have the freedom to discriminate unless and until it abridges someone's physical life. No, Jody, I got a question. Jody, especially nowadays where PR, meaning information, flies around at literally a billionth of a second around the world, if a single hospital did violate EMTALA, if EMTALA, if EMTALA the law didn't exist, the principle, ethical PR would still exist. If any ER ever turned anyone away, that hospital, again, a private company, would be financially dead within a minute because of Facebook and Twitter, right? So United Airlines lost a billion dollars overnight because they, they might have dragged a doctor off maybe, right? So a hospital would be dead. They'd be closed by the next day bankrupt if they turned anyone away. So we don't need Amtala. The PR, the free market handles it. Actually, yeah, I'm not disagreeing. I don't disagree with that at all. Can I argue with him? You're dead wrong. If See? any hospital turned away Dick Cheney, trust me, there would be no backlash. So you have to be careful <laughs> on the flip side of that because it wouldn't even be reported. And if a hospital turned away Donald Trump today, okay, if he got through, he got shot, and the hospital turned him away, you think anybody in the press would bash that hospital? No. Yes, but if the conservatives who actually have the money stop supporting them, the hospital would fold because half the country would stop supporting the hospital. The, I trust me, the hatred for people like Dick Cheney, Howard, I, I hear what you're saying, are so vicious that True. the PR would not change that.
So that's why you got to be careful, even though I still am not in favor of government saying you have to do something because I'm a Thomas Sowell, um, not disciple, there's a better word for it, acolyte, I think is the word. Yeah. And um, again, and the minute you force somebody to do anything, you've enslaved him. I know that's a very inflammatory word. Yeah. I want to say two things about Antala. Again, on principle, as a principled voluntarist, again, for better or for worse, I have pretty hardcore principles that are black and white in almost every single scenario. I don't think the government should do anything. If they should exist, it should be to protect us from murder and protect our property and our life. That's it. They shouldn't be mandating anything. In practice, as well, I believe that in practice, it doesn't work when government does anything besides for protect the basics of life, liberty, and property. Mtala, I got to see this in EMS for the last nine years. Mtala, again, sounds good. It is terrible. Because of Mtala, ERs cannot turn away anyone. So as Laser and I will tell you from the Bronx, thousands of cases, if somebody wants three hots in a cot, they call an ambulance, they leave them with the bill so the ambulance company eats it, and they go to the ER, and the ER has to keep them. They cannot turn them away. They can walk into the ER, say, I have back pain, and the ER has to keep them for at least a few hours or, or overnight so they get out of the cold, or so they have a place to sleep, and they get a food, and they get this, and they get to flirt with the nurses, and they stay for a day. Now, that entire bill, which costs five ten thousand $10,000 in care as far as value, the resources they use, that and then they have to eat it because no one pays because they either have Medicaid or nothing or, you know, delinquent payers. And that's why hospitals got business, and that's why they're all uh, centralizing and consolidating because small hospitals cannot afford this. So Antala has destroyed the small private hospital throughout the U.S. So Antala is horrible. Again, it sounds good on paper. People accuse me of hating people and wanting people to die when I say get rid of Antala, but it has destroyed hospitals. And that, in the long run, will be a net negative for our health, right? It's interesting. Elliot, going back to me. our first shows where we talk about the difference between libertarian and conservative. I believe Antala was put into effect by Reagan, wasn't it? I think so. Right. So when I was a full-fledged Reaganite conservative, I had no problem with MTOW. As I move more towards libertarian, it bothers me much more. And I think, that's a, Jody, I think that's a great example of conservative versus libertarian. Well, you know, Elliot's whole description uh, really defines for me why, you know, things often sound not just good, but logical when you think of government intervention, of course you don't want people to be discriminated against or harmed. Of course you want all these things. And so of course you want a law like Amtala. But then you get into and you start to see what are the negative consequences? What are the downsides? How does that law end up harming people as well as you know, in the intent of, in, in the um, attempt to help people? And I think it's that part the harming people that we fail really to analyze before or even after we decide we're going to do this to help this, you know, this you lot know, of page with good intentions and voters. We, we fail that as a country. Yes, we do. But uh, having visited a number of other nations and uh, meeting, meeting people of different cultures, it's interesting because I speak more than one language. And I have seen uh, where, where Steve was saying that in his neighborhood, he sees a discrimination to a, to, a, to a phenomenal degree, I believe, or something, something to that effect, he said. Um, I have gotten the chance to experience discrimination from government over accommodation laws and i've gotten to experience the same discrimination from people who suppose uh, who, who uh, support opposing ideas uh in in the in the in these things um whereas they don't know that i speak the language they speak freely in front of me 
they'll say something and they will actually explain to their friend who's standing next to them how they're going to go ahead and discriminate against me because I'm a foreigner, not understanding that I know the language. I, I'm, I, 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 my family fled a dictatorship uh, when I was younger. So I understand that the United States is possibly the least discriminatory nation on the planet watching carefully at how systemic uh, government-sponsored discrimination is and government-supported and uh, discrimination is in, in many, many other parts of the world. The, 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 a lot of the snowflakes that you see that, that start uh, collapsing because of a perceived, uh, a perceived discrimination haven't really traveled, haven't really experienced what true discrimination and true oppression really is. Great point. Side. A politician, the gatekeeper, they can use that power to keep you out or to screw any other kind of people. Right, you know, Jerry. what Sai brings up really makes, if you stop and think what really is kind of happening in this country, you know, uh, California, they wanted to write in, um, they, or they wanted to remove, and I don't remember the wording, but some sort of the government shall not discriminate. They wanted to remove that to allow the politicians and the government to discriminate, obviously against, against white and for minorities. So do we, do we have this evolving where it's, it's totally shifting where government is the discriminator and they ban private discrimination? That's a really scary uh -huh. sort of evolution. You just described the reverse apartheid, South Africa. Yep, we could do a whole episode about South Africa. That's it's, really it's scary. Ed, comment? Uh, I don't have anything to add to any of that, but I, I did want to say that you might want to spell out what the acronym for Antala is so that the anyone listening knows. Emergency what Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act. I don't know. It's for emergency medical treatment and... Uh, also for people in active labor so that ER can't turn them away. So emergency treatment and stabilization or, or stabilization and treatment. And then for active labor, the ER can't turn them away. That's the basics of it. Right. I knew what it was, but not everybody listening might know. Okay. Yeah. I think it's something I have like a question that. Because since we have two medical personnel in here, Impala is a wonderful idea, but that means that Jody doesn't get to go home that night because she has to stay and take care of somebody against her will. And <laughs> Slavery. Yeah, yeah. So somebody is saying to him, you must give your labor with or without recompensation to someone at some point that you don't want to do. Well, I was an employee of a hospital system, a hospital. I was not an employee of the government. So had I been an employee of the government, I might, I might have been conscripted to stay. Um, but an employer actually had to pay me X amount of time to work X amount of overs beyond my shift. So Jody, as would rather Impala, replace me. I think, I think Amtala does at least somewhat enslave people, nurses and doctors and hospital employees, even if it's a private hospital, because even if they're being paid, it's still involuntary servitude. If, if you run a hospital and because of Amtala, you just got 17 homeless people or anyone who wants to stay in the ER for the night because it got cold or started raining, and the government, again, men with guns, are saying that you have to, the hospital, the ER, which I know has limited staff, maybe two nurses and one doctor in small ERs, they have to take care of them. That is essentially the, the government pointing a gun at the ER manager or triage nurse or, or director saying you have to treat these people, meaning they have to keep the nurses on all night. 
So it is involuntary servitude, maybe a bit indirect, but it's still involuntary servitude, which is the actual wording of the, the uh, slavery that, the amendment that got rid of slavery, right? So I had a privilege of working on an inner city detox unit way, way back when. And talk about the abuse of a system where you're forced to treat people who everybody knows it's horrific. The king of the detox unit, it was a three-day detox. We had one gentleman who actually wasn't a minority, which means he was in the minority there. He admitted himself eight times in one 30-day period, went to a detox unit. So yes, people are being quote unquote conscripted to treat people that per their better judgment, even their better scientific judgment, they're enabling and hurting, but the government says, you can't make that choice with your skill. You have to give it to somebody else. So I'm saying just like with the cake and the artists and the photographers and everything else, the government is saying, you have to do something because we, we force you to do it. At the same time, no solutions are offered by, you know, when, when, when these abuses are, are happen, there is no foresight, there is no one in the government, there's no mechanism that is, is, is offered to, to mitigate this, this potential abuse, which, which is just part of human nature. You're going to have that. So, so the idea is what, what mechanism, what solutions can be offered to avoid that? Because that has a cost on society. You know, I'm listening to the descriptions, like you said, in the Bronx, uh, and, and, you know, people checking themselves in. The, 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 a, a mechanism has to be available and has to be offered to, to mitigate that, or else it just, it, it just spirals out of control. It was actually Baltimore. And by the way, you're a really nice person because you were paying for that. So forgetting the involuntary servitude of making people stay, you guys paid for it. So I'm going to ask one more question. In these states and jurisdictions that have mandated masks, um, we don't have a lot of legal recourse, do we? Now, I don't think Martin Luther King is around and we can't march against You can sue them and see if a judge happens to be nice and side with you, but... Right. That's, I mean, that's what actually up the fine to, I think, $125, which is a little bit more there than it is even here. And, it's, and again, all fines are by definition regressive meaning they hurt the poor yeah. a lot more than they hurt the wealthy. Some of us can pay $125 and it won't kill us. Some of us, that's a week's food. So, well, yeah. you know, I live technically between two states, Michigan and Illinois. Both of them have what I would describe as oppressive liberal Democrats running them at this moment. But I will tell you my observation, and I'm not, I live... I live permanently not too far outside Chicago. My vacation home is in Michigan, uh, about an hour, a little over an hour from Detroit. My observation is the people in Illinois are, at least in my area, really eager to comply. The people in Michigan, and they have the same, really kind of the same rules um, on masks, the people in Michigan are really not nearly as eager to comply, and I find that really interesting. Fundamental views of how they see their government. The two different peoples see their governments in very, very opposing ways. That's that's yep. that's that's at the root of that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm more hopeful for the future of Michigan than I am for Illinois. By the way, I think somebody had a really good idea many years ago. It was an idea that we were 50 separate states. 
No, we're one united America. We're one country. Come on. We need to come together. Right. I think it was a brilliant idea because then Michigan could be okay doing what Michigan does and Kansas can be okay. Now, unfortunately, and I think it gets back to federal government issues and monetary, um, what's the word, incentives, if we'll put it that way, that even states like Texas, supposedly red states, are clamping down so hard against freedom for masks. So any other words on masks? I mean, you could bring lawsuits. I don't know how successful they'd be. I think there was a successful lawsuit, I believe in Michigan against the, the governor of Michigan. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but there may have been one in, either in, in Illinois against the governor or in Chicago in Cook County against the, the mayor. I'm not sure. Virginia, um, they might've had a successful lawsuit. They have been I think the lawsuits are overall net negatives for Liberty. It's when, when you're, you know, mother tells you that you can't eat for a month and you appeal to your dad, even if your dad re reverses that ruling, it's, it's not a good situation. Why did your mother do that in the first place? Why are you begging your dad to not starve you for a month? That appeals or going to courts or begging our masters, begging a different slave master? Uh, no, no, no. Do not say masters. That's oh, the yeah, figure of the week. Do not say masters. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think we should be asking. Like I wrote a whole article about the, the, uh, Virginia mandate, Governor Northam, the Virginia, um, the ban on, on churches, on, on praying, right? And they went to a court, another court, another court. Finally, one judge said, no, you do have a right to, to pray. You have a right to religious freedom. And I'm like, thanks a lot, boss. Thanks. Now that you, now that you master, said I can pray, now I can pray. Thank you. Pathetic. I just, it's, I wanna... it's a front, front to liberty. By the way, we live in a country where you can sue an iron manufacturer if you iron your face by mistake, and yep. you could sue Dunkin' Donuts yeah. and the cup manufacturer if you pour hot coffee. What's going to happen when the lawsuits start that I got sick because you didn't tell me I can only wear my mask for an hour at a time? You yeah. didn't tell me I have to change. And by the way, on no mask package I have seen, are there any warnings directing how to wear them and how to use right. them? Right. Wait till the lawyers figure this one out. Yeah. I haven't seen that much, Steve, even in the conversation. And I, you know, I'm, I'm probably not watching it as much as I should, but I don't see that as a prevailing message of the proper way to wear your mask. But I want to go on record um, as making a prediction about masks because I think that very message of what damage and what harm could be happening right now because of masks people are too reluctant to either study it or talk about it because of the political implications. But in a decade or two, you're gonna to start to see the evolution of science that is starting to say, hey, whoa, wait a minute. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot greater transmission when people are ma using masks um, in, in large amounts and using them improperly, it's actually, uh, doing more harm than good, but I think it's gonna require getting out of the political politicization of the whole thing before we'll start to see it. The the way, I was gonna say, I'm like one say, of those people going, hello, why didn't you study that back then? But yeah, is everybody familiar, everybody familiar with Dr. Ferris? No. From, uh, talking about Dr. Floyd Ferris? Yeah, that one. Yeah, I'm familiar with him, the, the evil doctor in the Atlas Shrugged book. Exactly. He was the head of the, the uh, Science Institute or something? The State Science Institute. Well, right. If you haven't read Robert Atlas Shrugged... Robert Sadler was the head, but he was the, in fact, de facto head. The de facto head. At least I remembered something about him. I knew he was a doctor. 
Um, I don't have a lot of faith in science, sadly. Even at its best, it is so politicized today. On any subject that can be politicized, I don't trust any of the science. And that's a really scary thought because way back when, I didn't think that was an issue. When you see the junk that Lancet will put out today, the junk that JAMA will put out today, where owning a gun is considered a institution. Right, owning a gun is a health hazard and therefore the Journal of American Medical Association has to speak out about it. Science has been really seriously corrupted. Again, in my world, that would not be an issue at all. So how would that not be an issue? What would you do about it? No, in my world where the government, you know, doesn't exist, things couldn't possibly be politicized using the government. No, it would be politicized using other forms and other forms of pressure. Okay, if I'm a big pharmaceutical company and I know they're up there with Halliburton and I wanted to test a certain drug, there would still be pressure. And I'll give you the best example. Um, So we got two medical people for the non-medical people among us, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of, uh, what's it called, of Psychiatric Disorders, I forget the exact name, DSM. And we've watched it evolve over the years and many diagnoses were changed due to pressure. And it wasn't from the government. It was from from interest groups, it was not from the government. Let me say something. I mean, just look in the last, I think about the last two or three weeks, a whole group of doctors signed, I think it was like 1300 doctors signed a letter saying that the, the protests for George Floyd were, were not something to worry about for COVID and the COVID restrictions shouldn't be applied to those people. Now, that, that letter is so undeniably politicized yeah, and it came from the private sector. That was not a government mandate in any way, shape, or form. And that gets back to what I was saying to you before, Elliot, that if you've got people that are totalitarian in their hearts and culturally against liberty, the free market is only going to get them to where they want to go faster. They, they didn't need a government mandate to tell them to, to oppose, uh, you know, to, to be in favor of those protests tearing down our country. Um, so, I agree. What you're saying is that, that, you know, you don't like the radical leftist communist authoritarian culture. I don't either. I hate them as much as, as much as you do. We need to separate from them. I think, you know, we should have a big government. And, and the most important thing to my entire ideology and my dream of society in paradise is to totally separate with, with real and physical and virtual barriers from the radical left. They are horrible for a billion reasons. I agree. Understood. But I'm saying that the politicization of science, while government money plays a huge role in it. Uh, it's not the only role. And you've got, I, I know, I know. As, as, as Jody was saying earlier about the, the citizens that she, or the people she sees in Illinois being really eager to comply with all this totalitarianism. Uh, I, I see the same thing here in New Jersey. I, I'm just floored by how eager people are to comply with, with dictatorial controls coming from the governor. Yeah, uh, I know it's not- By the way, just gonna mention, all of Bloomberg um, and every town and MBA, you know, those are, you know, non-governmental organizations and they are as horrible as anyone. I agree hundred um, percent. And, and I just want to separate from them. Let Bloomberg and every town be out do there. You guys, do you guys are old enough to remember when Ronald Reagan, who I hope to God will not be in Trump's new garden of heroes. Do you remember when Ronald Reagan created HIV? Oh, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> And can I tell you, I have spoken to people face to face on a detox unit who honest to God believed 
that Ronald Reagan invented HIV to wipe out the black population. Of course. Absolutely. Just, just got visions of the movie and the band played on. <laughs> so again, is it, it's not just the government that's politicizing science, unfortunately. It's already a big, big share. But, but Ed, when leftists can say a lot of things, right? They can say, you know, vaccines are good or bad or guns are good or bad, but there's a certain level of legitimacy. It's here. When the AMA, even the AMA, who a lot of people respect, or, um, you know, JAMA, Lancet, whatever, there's a certain level of uh, legitimacy. When the FDA, that's the federal government, when the FDA says guns are bad, that is an entirely other level. And that's what I think, you know, shouldn't exist. So yes, it's not just a government that I think is pervasive to liberty. Of course, there's a whole culture thing and the whole left and, you know, Bloomberg and Oprah and, and all of them. All the big, big, you know, billionaires are mostly leftist activists, unfortunately, not to mention Soros. But when the government says it, when I'm in a debate and someone says, but Alu, the CDC said such and such. Alu, the FDA, the FBI, Comey, you know, the great trustworthy quote, Comey, said such and such. It's like almost canon. It's, it's well, you know? let me just, yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to argue in favor of government control. But what I'm saying is private people can still politicize things. And, you know, like here, I mean, I know this is a somewhat hybrid example, but if you look at the, the climate gate scandal from 2010, you know, there were lots of emails that detailed very specifically how the peer review process was going to be corrupted. The IPCC, was that, was that governmental, private, or both joint? The IPCC itself is, is government, but... Okay, but, so it was, it was government. But no, but period, Michael Mann, Michael Mann is not government. The peer, well, he worked, well... But a lot right. of these things are either government or government-involved or government-funded. The WHO, right? It's, it's Where it's, the government becomes a partner, yes. Yeah, right. it, it all merges. Like cancer, it kind of takes over the blood well, supply or something. Allo, allo, that's point. If you look back at what they said in those emails, one of the things that they, one of the ways they wanted to control science was to control what got published in, in Science Magazine, what got published in uh, Nature, what got published in National Geographic, mm -hmm. all private entities, but they made sure that they had their people in control of those editorial decisions, and they were going to control the information that was distributed on a mass basis. 100%. Now, I, I've heard about this. I'm working on an article. They, the left doesn't just want to control government. They want to control all the influential private institutions as well. So I 100% agree. They right. want to control the radio, the TV. They already do. They control the newspapers. They control from Amazon to Hollywood to music to the NBA. The NBA is owned by China now. They control the NFL. They control every institution. Government is just one big institution, but they want to control every big institution. And it is scary as hell. Right. And these yeah. happen through symbiotic relationships because of the fact that you have this you have this government component and you have this private sector component and you have these these meeting of the minds where the government offshoots or offloads some of these responsibilities onto the private sector and then therefore can have plausible deniability. Oh no, we're not involved. We didn't do that. No, you didn't. But you what you did do is you offloaded this project or that project onto the private sector, which doesn't have to answer to anybody. Well said. I Correct. told you, I don't think you and Ed disagree. I think you, um, and that's because I'm a mediator, so I have to say yeah, that. No, we 100% agree. You're putting the blame on government, and Ed is making, actually going further than you. He's saying, if even if you got rid of all the government, people will still screw up your life. But, but no, we, we totally agree, 100%. Uh, what I'm saying is, I guess the, the actual enforcement, 
So, so Ed, we, obviously you and I both know a lot about the leftist culture and it, it is pervasive and disgusting and horrible and it's the worst thing in the world. The leftist, the entire movement of the leftists. The fact is when it a- actually comes time to take my guns, it's not Mr. Bloomberg and it's not moms of demanding action. It's, it's government employees, right? Police, ATF, FBI, taking my actual guns, taking my money, forcing me to put a mask on, arresting me for not wearing a mask and putting me in jail and killing me. So if the government didn't exist, Bloomberg can cry about guns all he wants. And Piers Morgan can cry about gun sales, but there's no enforcement. There's no teeth to it, right? Well, so let, me, let, me say, let me say this. I mean, a couple things. First of all, you keep talking about if there were no government, if there were no government. Go look and see what's going on in Manhattan right now. Go look and see what's happening in our big cities where the police have been pushed back, where there is no government and businesses and, t- and cities are being looted and, and rioted and, and burned down. Um, so I, I don't think that no government is the answer. Um, but even even arguing it on your terms, you're right that the that, that government generally would be the one to impose gun control, but it doesn't even have to be. You can have, you know, you can have, you know, suppose that the suppose that um, you know at the at the Washington D.C. cocktail parties, you have, you know, Chuck Schumer talking with. You know the the head of Amazon and the head of Google and the head of Walmart. You know, just the top it. ten. You know, the, the, you know they're just sitting and talking and and they and Chuck Schumer says, you know, I'm not going to pass a law, but you know it would be a really good thing if you guys made a condition of employment that nobody can own a gun, right? And that that that's a backdoor way of getting getting gun control. Now they've been more likely doing that with 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 respect to big tech where they're talking about who they'd love to see deplatformed. And I mean, I can't say that, you know, definitively, like I, I don't have videotape of them doing it, but I'll bet dollars to donuts. That's what's going on behind no, the scenes. You're hundred percent right. We, I wrote an article. I'll put it in the, in the link here. I published an article, a few of them, a few months ago saying that Walmart caved to the leftist culture. Again, not government. The government didn't. Right. Dick's, Dick's sporting goods. Yep. Yep. Walmart, Walmart, you know, caved and said no more firearms, even concealed in the store. Uh, CVS, Walgreens, and around a hundred other stores. And, right. you know, and that's why my solution, again, it's not black and white, but my solution is to separate, not just governmentally, separate, you know, it, totally separate from the leftist culture in the U.S. Let, we can live in New Hampshire, and the left can live in, you know, New York, and everyone's happy. And it's actually, just to, to side with you for a moment against Elliot, it's, we're not even um, bringing all the examples. When the credit card industry, which is a totally private industry, decides that they will not allow any gun sales through their mechanism. That's private business destroying. Forget about YouTube, which I just saw an article today or yesterday, anything to do with guns they take down. So yeah, I think Ed's just chiming in that once we get rid of government in your dream, we still got a lot of enemies. And I agree that I agree about separation. I just want to mention one more point to the medical people here. Who would have ever believed, Jody, you're a nurse, I assume, you're in the business more than five, 10 years? We're not, allowed, we're not allowed to study hydroxychloroquine. That's how yeah. politicized medicine is. I can't get a drug because the left says, Trump mentioned that word, therefore I can't get that drug. So it's canceled. So the, the drug is canceled in, in effect. The drug is canceled, even if it affects my life. Mm-hmm. And going back to the life and liberty thing, that's pretty uh, interesting. I have to mention a meme. And you know, you guys all know how the left literally will hate and go to war with anything Trump says is good. And with hydroxychloroquine, he said 
studies say it's good because the number one immunologist in the world, a guy from France, actually did a study and 100% of people were cured within six days of COVID, by the way. So that, the study was phenomenal. Um, and all, every study so far says COVID is either perfect or it's damn near perfect and phenomenal, hydroxychloroquine for, for COVID. But we made, there was a meme about a year or two ago saying if Trump came out and said oxygen is good, the leftists would literally boycott it and stop eating oxygen. I thought it was a meme and a joke a few years ago, but hydroxychloroquine is also you know, a life-sustaining uh, substance or medication. If he said oxygen is good, leftists might literally, actually, try to you know, increase their intake of CO2 and nitrogen and less oxygen. So, so are you saying that he, if he came out for uh, dihydrogen oxide, people would stop drinking water? If he said don't drink dihydrogen monoxide, <laughs> yes, the yes. left would stop drinking it. Right. Okay, folks, we're gonna, I'm going to wrap up for today. To... Closing comments from anybody, please. Yes, I'd like to circle back to what Jody was saying. Um, on record, you said that in 10, 15, 20 years from now, people will be doing studies about masks and how there should have been all these warning labels. What is not being spoken about, which I'd like to go on record, because you said it's regarding the spread of the disease of COVID. What I'd like to talk about is how detrimental masks will be in the long term to your own personal health regarding your lack of appropriate air intake and all of the issues, lung issues that will come out of long-term use for wearing a mask, or there not being the appropriate filters for you your mask that you are using or you didn't use the right mask someone will say so therefore you know you didn't take care of your own health so laura that really is umbrellaed under my overarching concern okay. is that they're not even willing to discuss or research how mask use might actually be causing harm not just to me personally mm -hmm. for oxygenation reasons or co2 reasons mm -hmm. but for transmission reasons they're not even willing to engage in the possibility right now right. that masks could be causing harm and i'm just saying i want to go on record that ultimately they will and they'll start to walk it back and decide huh maybe it's not such a good idea to mandate these i'm just guessing and your immune system is designed to encounter pathogens. That is how it stays strong and gets stronger. If you encounter no pathogens and live with a mask and bathe in hand sanitizer 24-7, you're doing a disservice to your immune system, which does a disservice to everyone in society. Ed, last word? Uh, I think Elliot deserves the last word. That was a good, good ending. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to wrap up. See you all next week at 3 o'clock. Thank you so much for joining.